On this week's edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast, we'll talk U19s with Corey McLaughlin of Lacrosse Magazine. Kyle Sorensen is going to stop by to talk about the perfect season for the Coquitlam Junior Adnet. We'll ask the question, what's up with the Maple Ridge Berards and should we be concerned? And as I often like to do, we'll talk about growing the game. All that and more on OTCB. I am an What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can two easy and really, really simple ways. Easiest way to find me uh, is email teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. There you go. Uh, I'm on there all the time. Love to hear from you. Get some great emails um, from fans all over. And uh, always love talking lacrosse with whoever wants to send something my way. So please, uh, email me, send me a tweet, and uh, let's do some rapping. Uh, on this week's show, as mentioned, uh, Kyle Sorensen will stop by. Uh, he is the offensive coach for the Coquitlam Junior Adnax. He's also the assistant general manager for the Vancouver Stealth. So we'll talk some BCJ. We'll also talk a little Minto. And, of course, we'll talk some NLL as well with Sori. And Corey McLaughlin uh, from Lacrosse Magazine, as mentioned, will stop by. He's been here in BC uh, all week covering the U19s in Coquitlam. So we'll get his perspective uh, on pretty much the blue division. We won't talk a lot about the green and red divisions, but uh, there is. we will talk a little bit just because there were some pretty cool stories. Um, Mexico and Taipei going to seven overtimes um, and just the the whole vibe around the worlds that are going on. It's just an incredible atmosphere, and I know everybody is enjoying themselves. Uh, the weather's been great other than the opening night, so uh, we'll talk to Corey in a little bit as well as Kyle Sorensen. But let's focus on uh, the Western Lacrosse Association because that's in our backyard right now. Um, the New Westminster Salmon Bellies have found themselves back atop the WLA standings. Uh, they've won two straight. Uh, they've won. They've, they're undefeated in their last ten games. They started the year zero and three. They're now eight three and two. Uh, those two ties could come back to bite them in the butt uh, if Victoria, who is just two points behind them can use their two games in hand, which would leapfrog them over the bellies for first place. But Nues is in a good spot right now. Uh, Burnaby is starting to come alive a little bit. Maple Ridge is floundering. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. Coquitlam might have been brought back down to earth by Victoria on Friday night. Nanaimo still clawing their way, seeing if they can get into that final playoff position. They're just five points back of fourth place. They're actually five points back of third place. And the Langley Thunder got their second win of the year when they upset the Maple Ridge Berards uh, on a Tuesday night. And so that got a lot of people questioning. It was funny because after that game on Tuesday, uh, I had um, the folks from Lacrosse Sports Network uh, message me and they wanted me to come on and they wanted to talk about the struggles of the Berards. And it kind of stemmed from a uh, comment that I made uh, on Twitter about how ever since the surety bond has been put in place, the Brards haven't been themselves. Now, there have been some people on Twitter 
who are like, well, all of a sudden now you want Slapshot Lacrosse and you want gong shows and goonery and thuggish and all that. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying when I say that the surety bond has handcuffed the Maple Ridge Brards. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want gong show lacrosse. That's just stupid. Nobody wants that. I didn't want it when I was watching before I played. I didn't want it while I was playing. And I don't want it now. It has no place in the game of lacrosse. However, Maple Ridge isn't playing their game the same style of game that they were playing at the start of the year because they have to walk on eggshells now because the league is so on them and watching them and going over everything they do with a fine-tooth comb that they can't go out and play Maple Ridge lacrosse. Now, the incident with Daniel Amesbury, I get it. Like, it didn't need to happen. I've talked at length with Rob Williams about this. He said that he shouldn't have had Amesbury on the floor. He was trying to call a timeout. If you go back and watch the footage, you can see Porter signaling to the officials to call a timeout. He wanted to get that timeout to make sure he didn't have Amesbury on the floor. He didn't have the wrong people out there so that the game could just end. What happened, happened. And it's unfortunate that it did happen. And... The league went out of their way to make um, make a statement and and punish Daniel Amesbury. They gave him five. They added two more. Um, he's eligible to come back anytime he wants. It'll be interesting to see if he does actually play again. But that's not the issue that I have. It's the surety bond. And it's $25,000 and the possible expulsion from the league if they do anything untoward that puts them in unfair standing with the WLA. And because of it, Maple Ridge can't play the the aggressive, fierce, tenacious style of lacrosse because they're just afraid that if something happens, they're going to be the ones to blame. And it's unfortunate because they were five Oh, and one to start the year. And since that, they've gone one, four, and oh. When I talked to Sato the other night, he said, you know what? We deserved to lose to Langley. They just outplayed us. It wasn't because we'd had two weeks off, which is still crazy. Um, the schedule this year has just been ridiculous. Like, There's so many things wrong with the schedule this year. It just blows my mind. And so it wasn't because they had two weeks off. It wasn't because they were walking on eggshells. It was just because Langley played a better game. Cool. I'm okay with that. But when you watch them play some of their other contests, they they just don't have that Maple Ridge feel to them anymore. And as much as I hated playing against the Berards, it's been their MO for a decade plus. It's how they've always been. And it's unfortunate to see that a team was at the top of the standings. And then all of a sudden, now they're in a tie for third. Three points out of second. Five points out of first. And holding on to fourth place by just a point ahead of Coquitlam. So I truly hope 
that now that we're you know we're nearing the stretch drive here, like Burnaby only has five games left in the regular season. Like teams are getting down to the nitty gritty here. I, I really do for the sake of this league and the WA that the Berards go back to being the Berard Street bullies. Teams have to be able to play that way, especially if you're going to win a Man Cup, especially when the Man Cup is out east. Because guess what? Whether it's Six Nations or Peterborough or Oakville or Brooklyn, you're going to get punched in the face, and you're going to get chopped, and you're going to get dirtied, and you better, better be ready to stand up for yourself. Fighting has a place in the game of lacrosse. It's part of the culture. Thugs, goons, all that stuff, I can do without. But Maple Ridge isn't the first team to act this way. They're not going to be the last. But it's just a shame to see them have to curtail their actions. Again, all that other crap that is involved... Um, security issues and, you know, late game stuff. Okay, I can understand that, right? Like, when a game is out of hand, you don't need to be taking cheap shots with teams or on guys with five minutes left. That stuff I hated as a player. Like, I hated it because it, it made no sense. You know, you're trying to send a message or you're getting retribution. That's not the time you do it, okay? It's not. So, moving forward. I would, and like I said, especially since we're getting into the late season where things start to pick up and the tenacity has to be intense. It has to be. It's playoff atmosphere lacrosse. It's going to get dirty. It has to. Because if you go and you're just playing soft, you're not getting very far. Now, I know someone's going to say, well, New West doesn't play that way. They're in first place. That's fine. That's New West style of ball. That works for them. Victoria is a very heavy, talented team with a lot of NLL stars. They brought back George Westwood. Now, George hasn't played a whole lot, and he kind of came in as sort of a bit of an insurance marker. But Victoria doesn't need to play the really tough, aggressive game, but they can. Burnaby plays a style of lacrosse that not a lot of people um, are fans of because they, too, run around um, and and take advantage of guys and take liberties with guys, but they don't get finger-pointed because it doesn't happen, you know, to the scale that it's been with Maple Ridge. Sometimes you just got to let teams be teams. And again for like the third time in this little soapbox. I completely condone what the WLA did because of the actions of Daniel Amesbury and being proactive with him to just say, hey, you know what, Daniel? Enough's enough. We have to take a stand. Five games, then they added two more. Repeat offenders, I get that. But you can't handcuff a team like they have been handcuffed. It's unfair, in my opinion. So, hopefully, the Maple Ridge Bards can turn things around here. And, you know, 
they're going to play some exciting ball down the stretch because their team is just loaded with really good talent. Uh, this week, they got to take on um, Coquitlam tonight at home, another Tuesday game at the Ridge, uh, and then Friday they're over here in Victoria. So, And then they got to do the double. Like, this is a tough week for them. In the next seven days, they're going to play four games. Again, nice job, schedulers. Four games in seven days. They play Coquitlam, Victoria, and then Nanaimo back-to-back. And then they got to play New West on Thursday. That's five games in nine days. That's insane. Like, the U.S. Boxla U18 team just did that, and they were gassed by that fifth game. And they did it in five and seven. This is five and nine. So, it'll be interesting to see how this Maple Ridge team responds over the next little while because they are a team that I truly believe deserves to be in the playoffs and should be in the playoffs and should really be a team to be feared in the playoffs. I think the four teams that are in the playoffs right now is how it will end up. New West, Victoria, Burnaby, Maple Ridge are my four teams that I see moving forward with the best opportunities. Coquitlam could get in there. Uh, Peter Tellis has that group playing some really, really good lacrosse. But I just think now that everybody is healthy and they have all their players in town, that I think Coquitlam kind of falls off the wayside here. However, like Victoria, they have two games in hand in the teams that they're chasing as does Maple Ridge. So a couple wins can really vault them back up the charts and and tighten things up. So in the last four weeks that we have here, stay tuned because it's going to get even better. Uh, Reese Dutch leads the WLA in points. He leads the WLA in goals, and his teammate Corey Conway leads the league in assists. Victoria has the top two point getters, and they have the, sorry, they have the top three in the WLA. Reese Dutch, Corey Small, and Corey Conway. The crazy thing is, is that Corey Conway has 47 assists. He'd still be in second in WLA scoring if he didn't have any goals. That's insane. Reese Dutch has 62. Looks like he's going to win the scoring title unless something drastic happens. And then Corey Conway, six goals, 47 assists for 53 points. He's in second, followed by Corey Small, who has 46. And then you have Logan Truss at 41, Mike Mallory and Robert Church at 40. Followed by uh, the great duo of Reed Reinholdt and Ryan Johnson from Coquitlam, who were really... The two stars for Coquitlam when they were in Victoria on Friday. But the way this Victoria Shamrocks offense is shaping up, they are playing uh, some of their best lacrosse I've seen. It's really helped their spirits that Adam Shute has played two really solid games behind that defense. And I, I truly believe they'll run with him the rest of the way. Cody Hagedorn might get a start here or there. But I truly believe that if this Victoria Shamrocks team is going to make a run, uh, through the playoffs and get back to the Man Cup, that they have to ride the wave of Adam Shute. Uh, in the past two games, I think he's only allowed 11 goals, six against Langley on Wednesday and five against Coquitlam on Friday. 
and just seems to give a little settledness to that back-end unit for the Victoria Shamrocks. Um, as mentioned, New West is atop the standings. However, they have played two games more than Victoria, Maple Ridge, and Coquitlam. But they're playing some really good lacrosse, too. They, like I said, they've, they're have 8-0-2 in their last 10 games. Um, Bouquet and Penny are playing some great lacrosse. Logan Schuss has really just vaulted his game to another level. And it's going to make for a great stretch run down the way. And like I said, tonight, Tuesday, uh, Coquitlam is at Maple Ridge. Uh, you can catch that game on Playful Screen, as are all of the games. And then the rest of this week, uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, Burnaby is at Langley. The Nanaimo Timberman take on New West on Thursday. Maple Ridge comes to the island on Friday, and they'll stay on the island for the island double when they take on Nanaimo Saturday. Also on Saturday, New West is at Coquitlam. And that rounds the games all the way through the end of the weekend. However, there is some other lacrosse going on in the mainland that a lot of people are really focusing their attention on. And that is the World Under-19 Lacrosse Championships. It got underway last Thursday, uh, the opening ceremonies. And then Canada played the U.S. And the U.S. just really said, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. This is ours. We are just going to make a statement right away. And they did that by laying a bit of a whooping on Team Canada, and they've gone a perfect 4-0 through the preliminary rounds. They have a bye to the finals, as does Team Canada. Canada will most likely, most likely play the Iroquois in the one semifinal, and then the U.S. will have to wait and see who they play because I believe there's a crossover, uh, but the winner of the red division taking on the fourth-place seed, I think, or maybe it's, I can't really remember how it works. But there will be a play-in game, and the winner, which I believe is going to be Israel, um, of the second division, will have a chance to bump up to the blue division and, and will get a shot at the United States. But all signs point to uh, U.S. being in the finals, and then they'll most likely play the winner, Oh, they will play the winner of Canada Iroquois, barring some miraculous do-you-believe-in-miracles kind of upset. That Canada-Iroquois game, uh, which will go Thursday night at 7.30 Pacific time, will be an absolute beauty. Go to 2016worldlax.com for more information. SportsCanada.tv has all of your webcast, and the broadcast quality has been fantastic. Kudos uh, to Jumbo Jake Elliott and his uh, right-hand man, Andy Watson, who are calling a couple games a day and just doing yeoman's work. Um, the other night when Canada was playing Iroquois, one of the light standards caught on fire and there was a bit of a panic and people were scatterbrained and, and really worried about what was happening. So they ended up having to pause the game. They were going to move it to one field and then some lights weren't working. So they started to move it to another field and all of a sudden the lights turned back on on the second field. So they got things underway and it was over an hour delay. But, you know, kudos to, to everybody who just were able to keep things moving seamlessly and this whole week has just done a fantastic job. Uh, semifinals go Thursday, and then the medal games, especially in the Blue Division, will be on Saturday. Uh, lucky enough that I will be over there for both Thursday and Saturday with a quick turn back to the island for the Shamrocks and Berards on Friday. However, there's been one guy who's been just as busy as Jake Elliott 
covering the World Juniors, and that is Corey McLaughlin from Lacrosse Magazine, and he joins us now on the podcast. He's been out here for a while. And, of course, the first question's got to be, how are you enjoying the life out here in B.C.? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I would say. I mean, it's basically been to the hotel in the field for the most part, but uh, trying to hopefully tomorrow or Friday get out somewhere yeah. a little bit. It's been kind of as expected for the most part how this tournament has gone for someone who's been there since day one. Um, what are your thoughts on, on pretty much uh, the opening round? Yeah, um, so... Yeah, it's been uh, been a fun tournament so far. Uh, obviously, you know those top teams contending with the U.S., Canada, uh, Iroquois, and um, yeah, the U.S. in particular. You know, I've been around been around them a lot, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. and you know they look they look pretty good. I, I think as far as you know, they've they've had a long process, um, you know, to getting here. You know, they had a tryout about a year ago with over yeah. 100 players, um, and now that's whittled down to to uh you know the 23 man right now and i really think you know once these games get started in a, in a tournament type setting that's when you really kind of see what the team is all about and i think yeah. uh you know you saw that last night with the, the iroquois game so it is i know a lot of people are talking about it is this the best u19 american team that we've seen in a long time um you know i've only been around a couple of them but yeah uh you know it's a good I think I'll say this. I think they're as prepared as I've ever yeah. seen a, a team as far as the amount of work the coaching staff has put into it. Um, and, uh, you know, they leave like no stone unturned as far mm-hmm. as scouting reports and, and uh, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, they're, uh, I mean, and, and they're showing, I think defensively um, is where they're, they're strongest. Uh, yeah. The goalie, Willie Klan, and then those three close defensemen are all really good, um, and they're playing well in, in the system and communicating well and seem to have pretty good chemistry. And, you know, I think Foley and Rowlett in particular, the close defensemen are two, like, you know, any team, they're like, there'll be a top guy on any college team. So, and yeah. they, you know, so and they are, <laughs> yeah. I think, and they are. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the defense in particular is, is great. I think the offense is coming along, and obviously they're strong face-offs and uh, mm-hmm. in the goal, too. So. You talked about preparation, um, and I had Nick Myers on the show last week, and, and he's very uh, regimented, and he brings that college mindset to it. And I know a lot of was talked about early on in this tournament, and even before that, this was the first time they'd had the U.S. team had had a college coach coach this group of young men do you think his preparation at the college level has allowed them to be more prepared yeah i mean it's definitely you know you're dropping in a college coach to uh you know to the u19 uh world and yeah it's um you know there's there are some high school coaches on the staff as well Mm -hmm. uh, with chuck rubling and bill Leahy. um but for the most part yeah i mean it you have nick uh, Myers, you have his brother Pat, and then you have Peter mm-hmm. Toner from Penn State. So all of them have really brought, you know, kind of the college mindset as far as scouting and breaking down film and um, and all of that, you know, on a daily basis uh, around the clock from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's really a high level of that going on and, and detailed, uh, you know, detailed scouting and all of that. And 
um, you know, everything, I think Nick Myers, what I've learned being around him um, has been just the emphasis that he puts on just like the writing and clearing game. Like that's his, yeah. that's his bread and butter right there. Yeah. And, you know, that should tell you a little bit something about what type of coach he is. The one thing I said last night when I was watching that Iroquois game was just the fact that, you know, the U.S. team is fast, they're composed, they're patient on offense, and, and, and they run their systems and they're very settled. But they've been able to find that other gear. You know, they were down 3-1 uh, after the first quarter, and then they ran off, what, 16 straight. Um, they're able to find that other gear. What has allowed them to do that? I think last night in the Iroquois game, um, you know, it was just kind of keeping their composure early on. Uh, you know, they were down 2 nothing, uh, drew a three-minute unreleasable penalty um, on uh, Jack Rowlett going against Austin Scotts. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, defensively, again, talking about that defense, you know, they picked off a pass, I believe, about a minute into that three minute and then just went down and killed the final killed two minutes yeah. on the other end. <laughs> um, and that was a big turning point. Um, uh, it was Iroquois scored one more goal after that. Um, mm-hmm. But then it was it was three to one. And you can kind of see see the tide shifting a little bit with, you know, Austin Hennings and just he had won every face off to that point, too. Yeah. So. Um, you know, he ended up losing one that he took all night. And as a team, they had only lost three face-offs, and those were all on the wing. So it was yeah. a pretty, you know, dominant performance from, you know, in the middle of the field. And, um, you know, but that said, that was the first time they had trailed all tournament down yeah. to nothing, 3-1, and they were able to kind of, you know, compose themselves. And, and you know, by the midway through the second quarter, um, you know, they had a pretty good, feeling of of uh, the outcome which way that was going to go so obviously a lot of people are hoping that uh, the Canadians and Americans face off in the final but that you know that opening game to start the tournament probably wasn't indicative of how either team could play um, what have you seen from this Canadian team since that game moving forward yeah I mean they've talked about uh, you know as opposed to the U.S. team which has been together a significant amount. Um, yeah. You know, I talked to some of the Canadian guys, you know, they're just kind of the opposite, um, you know, getting together here for the most part, um, you know, with their final roster. And, uh, you know, obviously they've played against each other a lot. Some guys that played together with Hill Academy mm-hmm. and, and uh, Team Ontario, but, um, you know, they're just kind of finding their way too. Um, and, you know, I think they're, I think they're making some tweaks to their, systems as they go along here um and so they'll probably see a little bit of a different uh different look maybe as as we in in the final just you know things here and there um i think the u.s is probably you know expecting you know some changes a little bit on there and i don't know specifically uh, what but um you know i think that reminds me of of uh denver in 2014 a little bit you know the u.s won that opening game and then uh, you know, they shifted some parts around on offense with, with John Grant Jr. when he was out. So, um, you know, just kind of finding their, their groove offensively. Um, and, you know, the stats, if you look at the stats, it kind of goes against the team that has won the opening game yeah. uh, in these FIL tournaments uh, the, the last uh, the last couple. So, um, we'll see. Yeah, it will be a, it will be a good game either way for sure. I think faceoffs will play a big role in whichever team gets up gets up early. You know, that, that tends to – the international game that tends to tends to help you a, a ton. So, 
one thing that um, – and this is a discussion that's going on on Twitter right now with a lot of people. And it is the FIL and the international game. And you talked about, you know, how important face-offs are in controlling possession and having possession. But now without a shot clock, teams are really slowing the pace down. And, and there's no real stall warning, but there's to keep it in. Um, do you think, uh, you know, the, the MLL has gone to a shot clock and they're talking about doing it in the college game? Should the international game move to some sort of shot clock, whether it be 30 or 60 seconds? Um, you know, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not sure because the, you know, at the the higher the, the higher profile games, obviously that's, uh, you know, that's a topic of conversation when mm-hmm. everybody's watching. You know, an opening game or the final game, and you know, teams are are holding the ball at times, and you know, nobody, I would say, you know, really wants to see that. I don't think, but, yeah. um, you know, at the same time, I think for the most part, you know, when you look at some of the other divisions, you know. You know, I don't know how a shot clock would affect all of them, and when you're really yeah, trying exactly. to to grow the game, you know that way too, and get more teams involved and more players involved. I'm mm-hmm. not sure a shot clock is the best way to do that, but um, you know, I, obviously, I understand the the gameplay uh, aspect of it when you when you see, um, yeah, you know, when you see teams holding the ball and whatnot, but. Um, yeah, I mean, generally, I'm for a shot clock, but I, I don't know if the international game is the best place to right. to put it in, you know, uh, universally. But um, you know, that's I guess those are those are my feelings on it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of all the other teams that are in this tournament, there's 14 in the tournament. It's the largest U19 tournament we've seen. Have you had a chance to watch some of the the red or green division games at all? A little bit, not too much, but I did yeah. see. Uh, uh, Mexico and uh, Taiwan played uh, into seven overtime yeah, I I believe, ask yesterday. You saw that. Um, uh, I saw a little bit of that. I had I saw more of Mexico's game the day before actually. Yeah. They were playing um, uh, Hong Kong and they right. scored five goals. And the, the coaches afterward told me that that was the most goals they had scored in like any yeah. game or scrimmage they had ever played. And so then the next day they go out and score seven and go into uh, you know, multiple overtime. So uh, <laughs> they're pretty happy about that. And, you know, that's kind of the, you know, you, you get to see people from other countries and, and, you know, different parts of the, of the world uh, with lacrosse, you know, the Mexicans have, they were saying they have about 450 players in Mexico, most like high school uh, and uh, kind of post-college age. Yeah. And so, and the guys here playing on the U19 team are actually the youngest he said pretty much they're the youngest players playing in Mexico. So, um, yeah, it's uh, when you see stories like that, it's, uh, it's yeah. pretty interesting. Uh, one of the other stories that kind of gets talked about when we see these world tournaments, and it was really talked about um, during the indoor championships uh, last year, was would some of these lesser nations, whether it be China or Israel or Hong Kong or Mexico, would they be doing so well if they didn't have the North American talent on their team? Now, do you think it's it's good for those countries to have people with, you know, North American citizenship and maybe international passports to be allowed to play in those teams? Or do you think maybe those teams should maybe only have, like, one or two designated players so that more people from that actual country who live in Israel are playing on those teams? Yeah, I mean, obviously, in a perfect world, you would have players from, from that those living in those countries playing yeah. in, in – in, uh, in these games, like everybody, but, 
you know, I think at the the point lacrosse is at right now, you still kind of have to um, you have to have that ability to draw yeah. players. I think from from uh, lacrosse developed countries, uh, you know, if, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. yeah. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. I mean, obviously, you would love to have every player, you know, born and living and working in the country that they're playing for, but mm-hmm. sometimes that's not possible. The the Mexican team has two American players. So, right. uh, you know, they're a team that, you know, is doing it, uh, you know, that way you're talking about. Um, so, and there are limits to the amount of, you know, mm-hmm. out North Carolina, I mean, I'm sorry, North American North players. American, yeah. yeah. Uh, or outside, you know, of your country that you can have. So, yeah. Um, I think that's a good thing. So it's, I'm not, you know, going to raise a stink over that, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's, it's, you yeah. have to you have to allow these kids to play with some North American players just so they can get a feel of it and they can learn some things. It just helps those developing nations grow a little bit quicker. Um, obviously, uh, the last round robin games for the Blue Division go tonight on Tuesday, and then the semifinals on Thursday, uh, Canada and USA all, already with their buys into those finals. Who do you expect uh, to progress to the next round to face them? Yeah, I mean the Iroquois and Australia will play for the third, uh, you know, the third seed today. Um, you know that one uh, after the Iroquois have had a tough schedule here mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. the Canada game, which got delayed, and then all that craziness the other night. Yeah. And then they turned around and played the U- then they played the U.S. Uh, less than 24 hours or tw- 24 hours later from the start yeah. of that game, but they had you know less time to in between than they normally would, mm-hmm. and then they play Australia. Uh, Right after that, in Australia, um, you know, they got it, got it handed to them by Canada yesterday, but they yeah. played against the U.S. You know, they were obviously holding the ball a lot, but, you know, they were they had a game plan and they were sticking to it. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. I feel like if, if uh, you know, they were able to, to get, get up early, I think, uh, which I think they should, uh, I think they'll, they'll probably, you know, set up a rematch with Canada and then we'll mm-hmm. see. See what happens there. You never know uh, what happens there. And um, Israel's already locked up the red division, so um, see how far they're able to go. And uh, the green will be decided today. So, um, yeah, things will shake out today. And uh, semis on on uh, sorry, Thursday. Thursday. The U.S. Yeah. will play at 4:30 local time um, in the first one, uh, and the second semi will be right after that at 7:30 in the finals at four o'clock yeah. on um, Saturday. Saturday. Uh, is there, is there a crossover? Uh, the, like is the winner of the red division, do they get promoted and try to play for that four spot? Is is that how it works? Or is that only in the, the men's senior tournament? Yes, there is that, uh, that uh, opportunity there. Okay. I haven't looked at an updated bracket or anything, but yeah, that's okay. how it, uh, that's how, yeah. okay. There will be a chance to get in there. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, a- any other, you know, things that you've noticed while you've been around? Obviously, the the fire that was in that Canada game was just a, a, just a strange occurrence that nobody even prepared for. And I was talking with Jake Elliott, and he's like, you know, we had switched from one field, and then we we're going to switch to another field, and then we had to go back to the other field. It was just chaos. But you know, b- besides that, sights and sounds of the tournament is everyone seemingly happy and having a good time and and enjoying the festivities. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, this is the first time I've been out here, so it's. I think it's a great venue um, mm-hmm. for the games, for sure. 
I mean, they were, you know, that fire aside, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it was kind of unexpected, but you know, there's the fact that there was three fields there to begin with that you could at least had options, you know, yeah. the positive side of that. Um, <laughs> so that was good. Um, yeah, I think everybody's having a pretty good time tonight. They're having a uh, kind of a skills competition and a, a, a f- some food with all of the teams nice. uh, together in the same place since a lot of them are, are scattered around the area in different hotels. So tonight they'll all be together uh, for the first time since opening ceremonies. Um, so that'll be a nice little, little event there, get all the teams together. Um, so, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that's going on here. And awesome. uh, weather's been after that first game, the weather was – rainy the first night but you know yeah. cool it's 60s the rest of the time so which i'm told is unusual for this time of year but <laughs> yeah it's a little uh, mild out here right now but that's okay you don't mind yeah all, all good to me Beats the well my friend it's uh it's always a pleasure catching up with you uh, i appreciate all the work that you're doing uh covering this tournament and i will see you on thursday all right awesome Congrats on your award, by the way. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that very much. Um, again, thanks for giving us some time, and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of today, and have a little day off tomorrow if you can. Thanks, Teddy. There is Corey McLaughlin from Lacrosse Magazine. You can follow him on Twitter, Corey underscore M-C-L, and Corey spelled C-O-R-E-Y underscore M-C-L. He's just does some really good work and he's like I said he's watching all the blue division games so uh, he's got updates on everything so give him a follow on twitter and and keep up to date with everything that's going on as mentioned i will be over there uh thursday and saturday so i will be doing some tweeting as well now one of the things you heard him talking about was um just the familiar familiarity 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 um that team america has with each other They've been, you know, they had their camps a year ago, and this team has been picked for a while. And during most of the year, they weren't together, but they've had a lot of time to prepare together. Um, They were out here on the West Coast over a week before, or about a week before the tournament actually started. Um, They were playing some exhibition games. Uh, They were just getting together as a group. And I think that bodes really well for them in this tournament because Team Canada really hasn't been together since those scrimmages that they had down at the IMG uh, Academy in Florida earlier this year in the springtime. And when you ask a group of, you know, 18 and 19-year-old kids to fly across country and all of a sudden build this cohesion and familiarity and chemistry together, you know, right off the bat, it's pretty tough. Sure, some of these kids, as Corey said, might have played, you know, at the Hill together a little bit or even in playing for Team Ontario or Team BC out here. You know, it's tough. It's really tough to come together as a group in such a short time. So, you know, that opening game against the Americans where Canada was just completely dominated and the Americans controlled the ball relentlessly and possessions of, you know, one, two minutes at a time, and they cycled the ball and they changed lines and they were getting, you know, shots and fresh fresh possessions and controlling the dot and controlling the rides. Like, they were top to bottom, front to back, just a dominant team in that opening game. Because they had been prepared and, and already familiar with each other and 
Head coach Nick Myers has his team playing some fantastic lacrosse, and now it's up for Taylor Ray and Jeff Snyder and the rest of that coaching group to really bring Team Canada together over the next eight days, in which they have been doing because Canada has got progressively better over the course of the week, which was expected. And so now they have a date with the Iroquois on Thursday night in the semifinals, which will be a rematch of the game they played early in their tournament, and the Iroquois really put it to Canada in that game. And Doug Jameson, who is one of the best box goalies in Canada at the junior level, has become a pretty darn good face-off man in his own right. And he did a great job against Inaccio uh, for Team Canada, who has, in his own right, just been spot-on fantastic. So when Canada and Iroquois meet, it's going to be a true test of, of skill, of heart, of pride, and a true test of who has been able to adjust the most over the course of this week. Who has made you know the proper adjustments in game plans and strategies. Um, you heard Corey talk about it at the, the World Games last year in Denver, how Canada had to make adjustments after that first loss to the United States. You know They put Noble at X. And they found themselves a true passer that can control the game. So it'll be interesting to see what um, changes Team Canada makes. Because ultimately, and this isn't a shot against the Iroquois, or the Iroquois, take your pick. It should be, and it most likely will be, Canada-U.S. in that final. And then it'll be really a true test to see how much change has come to that Canadian roster and how much they learned from that first game because they didn't look very good in that opening game, but they have looked better ever since. So it'll be um, competition and a challenge of cohesion and chemistry between the clubs because the Americans are sick and tired of losing to Canada right now. Let me tell you. Like, under-19s, they've never lost the gold in this tournament. They're a perfect 7-0. And they're looking for their eighth straight title. However, U19 girls, the Canadian men, they just so happen to hold the world titles. And the Americans, they'd like to put their foot back on the ground and say, hey, you know what? No more. This is ours. And Nick Myers has his team playing some fantastic lacrosse. And they have only allowed 12 goals in three games. They're playing their fourth game right now um, against uh, Team England. And they are up currently uh, 14-4. It was pretty close. At one point. But as, as I, I asked Corey about this, and I said it um, on Twitter the other night, they just have this innate ability to find another gear. And it's just impressive to watch. They were down 3-1 to Iroquois, Iroquois after the first quarter and then rattled off 16 straight. It was 3-3 
between England and the United States, and they've like outscored them fourteen to one ever since. It's just impressive, impressive, how Nick Myers can just fire this club up and get them to that next level. And whoever plays them in the semifinals is going to have to wait to slow that down. And most definitely, Canada or Iroquois, who faces them in the finals on Saturday, is most assuredly going to need to find a way to slow down the Americans because they run. Like, they'll, it's crazy to watch because, like, they will sprint past you and run down the field and have numbers. They'll force it, They'll, they'll go to cage. But they'll also say, hey, whoa, whoa, let's just slow things down here and play our ball and circle and cycle and just kill clock. There's no shot clock in the FIL, so they can take as much time as they want until that stall gets put on. And then even when they're told to keep it in, they can just stay inside that restraining line line as much as they want. And they're good at it. And they just have an incredible ability to control possession of the ball. And they are the team to beat right now. And it's going to take a lot for somebody to beat them. And you know that both Iroquois and Canada would love to be that team. There's another team out here in BC that a lot of people would like to beat. And that's the Coquitlam Junior A Adonax. Uh, If you are unaware... They have been going on a bit of a decade of dominance out here in the West, of going to Minto's and winning BC titles, uh, very reminiscent of the Burnaby Junior A dynasty in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's been kind of a slow transition from Burnaby and now into Coquitlam. And the Adnax made a bit of history by going a perfect 21-0. and 0. In the BC Junior A League, they um, it's not like they were untested. They had some pretty close games, a couple one goalers, um, some games where they had to come back and win late. So they had been tested, and they're not like they're just walking through, blowing everybody out of the water. But they still have a long way to go. And we are very happy to be joined by the offensive coach of the Coquitlam Junior A Adnex. He's also the assistant GM for the Vancouver Stealth. A friend of the show, been on here a couple times, and a proud Peterborough native. He's Kyle Sorensen. Sorry, it's been a while. How are you, my friend? Good, just watching the Sports Center here on my day off for the fourth oh, nice. time. <laughs> just watching the enjoyable loop of Sports Center. Yeah, actually, I just got a new one here, I think. So, oh, day of turning. <laughs> it's becoming the it's becoming the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, how's things, man? How's your summer? Good. Busy. Uh, I'm actually working with Ackle. Chris Ackle. Oh, really? What are you doing with him? Uh, gravel. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's got to keep you pretty between, busy. Between that, playing yeah. and coaching, yeah. Um, how's Senior B treating you? Good. It's good. Yeah. It's fun. Well, yeah. I played my third, fourth game there on Saturday. Yeah. And finally starting to get comfortable. Yeah. First game was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit different, eh? My forearms and my shins and my my foot in the wax. <laughs> yeah, like, I underestimated the amount of equipment I need to wear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You would think you would need more equipment playing a ball or NLL than you need playing senior B. Not a chance. Not even. <laughs> no, that's crazy. I know. I played CBC <laughs> over there in Vancouver for like three games, and it was the most insane 
lacrosse had ever played. But uh, you guys are starting to build a bit of a team together over there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like everything's kind of falling into place. Toll, yeah. well, I went to Calgary and apparently Toller plays for a team that like Dilks plays, Dilks plays for. And yeah. Who, who else plays for that team? You, you would probably actually know. Uh, what team's that? Whoever's hosting the President's Cup. Oh, in Calgary. Yeah. Or in Edmonton. Edmonton. They, he spit out their team and like our team's good, but yeah. <clears throat> we're like the 2004, all, 2006 all-star team. Yeah, like crazy. it's 2014 now. It's 15, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, like we're not like nobody runs back. Like, yeah, I fucking lose my mind. I'm like, get back, man. Like, yeah, this is so hard when you guys don't get off the floor. Yeah. Wow, senior B, right? I'm I'm adjusting. I'm adjusting. Yeah, we're adjusting. Uh, you've made a pretty good adjustment to the coaching ranks. Uh, last year you were with the, the junior Adnax and you guys had a pretty good year and you guys have picked right back up where you left off this year. Yeah. I mean, everybody's kind of bought in yeah. and I don't know. Sometimes I look at, you know, the coaching staff and it's like, yeah, we got big names, but do we, do we really know what we're talking about? And sometimes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you gotta, gotta look and you gotta go back and watch the tape and, you know, everybody bought into what we were kind of talking about all all yeah. season long. And, you know, I kind of let Creighton and uh, Pat take over the D. And, you know, I'm I'm very open-minded up there with the offense. And I just kind of apply my lacrosse end to, uh-huh. to the game. And, you know, there's times where it gets frustrating, I'm sure, for some of the players. But, you know, in the end, I, in the end, I think, you know, I do my homework very well. And I try to figure out teams. And I go back and watch my tape. And, um, you know, I, I truly believe that, with another year um, under my belt, I'm a better coach mm-hmm. um, going in, going into, you know, the playoffs for a second season. You've been with this group for, for a little bit now. Is it nice to see the, the growth that some of these kids are having um, and under the tutelage of yourself and Pat and Creighton, just to see how, how far these kids have come? Well, it's such a weird season, right? Where you know, it's everybody's at school half the season, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the young guys that kind of come in at the start of the year who you know nobody really expected anything of, and you know, guys like Johnny Crackman and Jared Pazabon, and you know, um, it didn't really matter who we put in; they all just kind of bought into what we were. And you know, when we implemented the guys that are coming back from school that you know mm-hmm. you haven't seen, you you know, you kind of were with all summer long, and to see yeah, yeah the growth that they you know, not just through the summer, but through the school year. And they come back and they're more mature and, you know, they're stronger, they're bigger, and they understand, you know, what their strengths and weaknesses are mm-hmm. in comparison, you know, to the game as well. So, you know, it's it's a challenge every day. I mean, yeah. we're all kind of learning and growing, you know, as a group, but we all have that, you know, same ultimate goal is, you know, not just get the mental cup, but play in the final and win it this year. It's crazy to think that you're saying, you know, you still have room to grow and you guys finished the regular season, a perfect 21 and 0, the first time that's ever happened. It, it kind of has to, you know, sit back and, and look at it and say, holy crap, we just went undefeated. And I know you have a long way to go, but that's got to be a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. Didn't it happen a few years ago? I don't know. I, I think they went crumbling. 20, I thought they went 20 and one in, um, let me just actually look here. Uh, in 2010, when they won, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they went 19, one and one in 2010. What was 2013 or 14? I don't know. They were rumbling yeah. out in the office the other day. I don't know. Um, I 2013, they went 17 and four. 
2014, they went 20 and one. 20 and one. Yeah. So you guys went 21 and 0, and that's I'm pretty go. sure. Um, you know, obviously longer season now, but that's the first time an undefeated season's ever happened. Like I said, it's it's kind of you know you know as a coach and, and a guy who's played, you know, regular season is great, but you know the Minto is the end goal. But it's got to feel feel pretty good to to go through a regular season uh, with a zero on the and the L call. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest, Teddy, man, like I, I honestly didn't even really think about it. I, yeah, as the season went on and. I think, yeah, you look back and Pat actually said it after the game there against the West. Not bad season, eh? Like, for yeah. 21 and 0. <laughs> oh, um, I kind of went, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? Like, like, I guess, yeah, sure, it's great. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's next? Like, this, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it'll look good, you know, when you look back, or, you know, across the whole season. But right now, like, all of our focus is, you know, getting better every day. Mm-hmm. And our season's not done yet. Yeah, that, you look back, but to be honest, I look at it as a, as a full thing, a full yeah, season. Exactly. Like our season, yeah. our, our season as a Coquitlam Madnax isn't done yet. Yeah. Yeah. We played the regular season, but I mean, we got a lot of work to do. Absolutely. And as soon as we start looking at our perfect season, I think that's when we're going to slip up and our weaknesses are going to happen. And, you know, all of a sudden teams are going to start looking successful against us. And uh, yeah. we're trying to implement <laughs> as much as possible for that not to happen. You, uh, you talk about, the the strength of this offense and how it was the young guys early on. You guys don't have anybody in the top ten scoring. Is that just an testament of how bought in these guys are to being a, a complete unit and not just individuals? Exactly. I think that's exactly it, and, and it speaks to you know our management staff who I mean consistently are you know working the, the lineup and you know using junior B guys and you know looking at, you know, future pro- uh, products in our organization. And those are the guys that we're now starting to use a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are the guys that are still kind of weeding their way into the lineup. But, I mean, there's two or three junior B guys that we wouldn't be perfect um, yeah. right now um, without them, you know, kind of coming in and doing their job and doing their job really well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean – it's it's a it's more than just you know our superstars. It's yeah. you know, obviously our goaltending is one of the best um, around right now in the junior A loop, and if not maybe ever. Um, mm-hmm. With our defense, it's kind of bought into our system, and you know you, you call you call it a zone. You know we kind of look at it a little bit differently, but yeah. I'm, you know we're you know doing our thing back there, and it's allowing us you know as an offense to kind of take that pressure off and allow us to kind of you know work a sixty-minute game rather than you know oh we're down six here going into the second we got to just you know grind. We, mm-hmm. we look at it as a full game in sixty minutes, and you know you don't win it in the first ten. It's it's uh, you know. Five minutes at the time, but at the same time, uh, it's a long game. Lots mm-hmm. of time for goals. You, uh, it's not like you guys ran through the season untested. You guys had some pretty close games, and that's that's got to help you uh, moving forward. But do you think it, your team would be better prepared for a loss if you had a loss during the regular season? Like, is a yeah, loss yeah. in the playoffs going to you know set a set off some some flares and some bells and whistles in guys' heads if oh, oh we all of a sudden they lose a game? <laughs> It's a good question. I mean, it's a conversation I've had more than once with more than one person. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes and no. It's like one of those things where it's like, no, we know how to win. 
But when we do, or if it does happen, you know, last year we ended up losing in the Minto and we responded really well from it. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, you know, it was almost like we were more hungry when we did end up losing. So I don't doubt our group and our club, you know, if it, if it, and it does happen, um, I think we're going to respond, you know, whether we win, lose or draw, Um, you know, we learn from mistakes and we learn from our, you know, our, our strengths and our weaknesses and throughout the game. And we, try to build on them whether the outcome you know is negative or positive that's a different story but yeah you know that it's the the message that our captains bring who who are doing a good job and you know pat's obviously um an intelligent coach and knows how to kind of handle his his team not just you know on the floor but mentally as well and Mm -hmm. um yeah i i don't i don't doubt that it's gonna you know come back to bite us in in the butt this year you talked about Yeah, you talked about the play of uh, Christian Del Bianco. It's incredible to me every time I look at his stats that he has yet to lose a game other than, you know, Minto games. But he's yet to lose a game in the regular season in the three years that he's played junior. And you said he might be one of the best goalies in junior. He probably is. Or even the best goalie right now, which is really a good question of debate. But for a guy that sees him every day pretty much, how impressive is it as a D guy to see a young goalie uh, play the way he does. It, yeah, you're right. It's it's like me growing up in Peterborough, playing junior there. We really didn't have a goalie that we can kind of rely on until yeah. Oldie came in, and we won one then. But mm-hmm. it's 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 new to me, and you know, <laughs> as much as I'd like to leave the goalies alone and not pay attention, it's you know he understands the game. I could talk yeah. to him really quickly, and you know, sometimes people tell me I mumble. But I, <laughs> he always understands what I'm talking about, just by yeah. my, you know, my my hand signals or you know my mm-hmm. looks or whatever that is. And um, he he knows the game, and there's a reason why you know he is where he is. It's not just because he's a good goalie. He, he thinks the yeah. game very well, and he does his homework. And you know, I, you see a lot of goalies like him that had success with junior, and then they try to make the transition to pro, and you know they struggle. But I mean, yeah. it's it's going to be yet. I mean. I'm yet to see a goalie that kind of goes through the rankings and and just is perfect throughout yeah. their, their whole career. So um, when it does, you know, when it does happen, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see because so far yeah. he's answered the bell. Last year I thought, you know, looking in the Minto Cup, they called his jersey because his yeah. jersey is too big. Mm-hmm. And actually nobody know, knows this, I don't think, but he tapes his jersey every game now because he doesn't want to walk into the Minto Cup with yeah. an illegal jersey playing all season long <laughs> with it, right? Yeah. So anyways, he comes off freaking out and, you know, I thought, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Like yeah. on the table on him now. So anyways, I had to tape his jersey and he's yelling at me to get water. It was one of those things. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I'll get, I'll get it for you. And yeah. He came in and it was, it was more mad and, you know, they got chance after chance. And actually, I think there was a time where, I don't know if it was Bombay or stats were right on top of him. It was a three on three. It was just kind of a joke of a game, but um stats was right on top of him and he just kind of stood his ground and you know threw a chicken wing out one time and made another yeah. save and made another save and you know he, their goalie i mean I, he, between him and christian del bianco i mean it's, it's going to be a battle if we do yeah. end up seeing each, them yeah. two seeing each other again because i'll tell you one thing christian's good but you know obviously they won last year so mm-hmm. he's got the dougie's got the, the championship belt and that's what christian wants I know is, that for sure. Yeah, is is Christian one of those sort of prototypical goalies where he's not all that like he's kind of a weird goalie, or, or is he or is he the anomaly? No, they're all weird. No, they're all weird. Yeah, and if they're not and if they're not weird, they're gonna be weird soon. Yeah, exactly. As soon as they figure out, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, I'm yet to meet one. 
telling yeah. you right now, and they even admit it themselves. I mean, Christian's actually made some changes in his game, and it's, yeah. like even in his pregame, you know, stuff that he he does, he's kind of bought in a little bit differently than you know even compared to last year. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's even matured from last year as well. So cool. I don't know. It's going to be fun. I mean, yeah. we've got a few tough months up ahead of us of lacrosse, but it's definitely you know it's a fun part of the season. It's uh, a new, yeah. It's it's a new format this year in the Minto or the, in the BC playoffs with, uh, you know, four and five playing the wild card, and you guys will play the winner. Uh, it's it's a really weird format. And then you know, if if you guys make it to the the BC finals, you have it's probably going to be a three game series. It, is is it just odd to see how they've set things up? Or are you guys okay with? It changes every year. I think as long as you know that the season, you know, at the start of the season, I mean, that's what you have to prepare for. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, I mean, when I won it in 2006, we had to do this kind of this tournament style in the Minto Cup, and mm-hmm. I believe, I mean, looking back, I'm not sure if we had the team, you know, that would have been able to compete with a Six Nations or Burnaby back then yeah. in seven games. So, I mean, I'm there's negative, there's negatives and positives. Um, yeah. You know, as for our playoff season, I think it's probably the best way to do it. I don't know if they go six or not, but they wanted to establish, you know, the four top teams in our summer loop. They're established pretty quickly. Yeah. They look back exactly. to the past season. So, I mean, you look at a Victoria and a Langley that those two, two guys that were kind of battling it out, mm-hmm. you know, as the summer went on, it was exciting to see kind of who were, you know, trying to get into the playoffs and, I think it, you know, engaged not just, you know, Langley, but, you know, Victoria and the rest of the teams throughout the summer. And it only going to make better lacrosse. The teams are showing up to win. Do you have a preference who you guys face in that first round between Langley and Poco? No, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, again, like uh, Poco's, yeah. Poco's a, you know, a little bit rougher team. I mean, yeah. they're going to, you know, wear and tear on us, but Langley runs. And, yeah. Um, it's a bigger rank there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. obvious that, you know, it's it's a different feeling when we play in that rank. But, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Um, before I let you go, it was a, a different season for you in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, you, you were coaching and then you are bumped up to the assistant GM. How did you adjust to that role? And, and are you okay being in that position? Yeah. I mean, I... I yeah, I liked it. I mean, not being on the bench, um, I think was better for the team in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but with you know, just with the travel commitments and then you know the amount of time that I was going to be spending, you know, in the lower mainland, I wasn't sure if I could commit. And you know, with everything kind of changing this year and seeing how you know how it ended and successful, we you know ended up being not just like we we lost some games, but we definitely made, got better. Anybody that kind of mm-hmm. saw those games. Um, would agree with me we got better you know the last five or six games when bats did come in so you know being you know lockers kind of right hand man with his decision making and you know stuff like that it's Mm -hmm. it's stuff that I've wanted to do since I was in third year now stuff that I was thinking about third year that I wanted to argue about I didn't think about the other stuff that that comes along with it yeah I mean so I mean yeah it's tough at times but at the same time you know, it's it's nice to have, you know, a word in the major decisions. Yeah. Is is there one focus that you guys have? I know you're really focused with, with Coquitlam, but is there a, a general direction that the team wants to go this off season to get younger, get faster, get bigger? Anything you guys are focusing on? Well, I think that's the first word there you use. I think younger's kind of a mm-hmm. key thing right now for us. I mean, just with injuries and, you know, yeah. I don't know what the defensive um average age was last year but I, yeah. I can almost guarantee that we were above and beyond you know most teams mm-hmm. um 
so yeah, we got to get younger. We definitely yeah. got to get younger. We got to be able to get more athletic and put some pressure on teams rather than kind of sitting back and you know letting them come to us. When we were successful, you know, four or five years back, like we were, you know, we were kind of go 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 and mm. made teams yeah. react to us. And I don't know if it was just entitlement or whatever it is, kind of that we've kind of settled into over the last few years. But it's up to our head coach and the rest of our management staff, along with myself, to kind of figure out. And I try—I have all the trust in the world and badly. You know, I won a few man cups under him, so mm-hmm. he knows how to win. And that's why you know I kind of pushed Locke to get him in here and you know kind of readjust our team's mindset and yeah. um, kind of have a different look at it. Because he's very much like Chris Hall, right? Like he's yelling and he's in your face and he wants the best out of you and knows how to get it. Yes, yes. I think the one major difference, I think, with with him and Chris is he is – I mean, he's still – they act the same, the way they yell Mm -hmm. and the way they kind of talk. But at the same time, there's more of a reason. Like Mm -hmm. he'll come down and explain it to you. Um, you know, do you understand? There's a reason kind of why I was yelling at you. And I think he right. kind of looked at more of a bigger picture where he kind of yelled this message and kind of moved on to the next. Right. Where, I don't know, it, that's kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call him more of a people person, but yeah, he sees it more in a smaller limelight. Yeah. And he's got the head games of a Peterborough guy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he knows know how to, games. yeah, you know, he knows how to talk to people to get the best yeah. out of them, whether that's yelling at them or yelling at somebody else that, you know, get somebody else pissed off, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. I, it's more of a psychological thing. Yeah. That, uh, I've always kind of looked at and still trying to figure it myself. <laughs> well, my friend, uh, you got a few days off here between uh, the first round of playoffs and the, the BC semifinals. So uh, enjoy it, get to work, and I appreciate you giving some time. Teddy, I want to congratulate you too on being the man for the NLL this year. Well, oh, thank you. Really I appreciate chance. that. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thanks, you got man. some tough competition, but. You worked hard. And, I appreciate you know, that very like much. You that, guys like you that kind of grow this game, and, you know, us players appreciate it. I know that. No, I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for giving me some time, and I'm sure I'll see you soon. All right, buddy. Take care. There he is, Kyle Sorensen, offensive coach for the Coquitlam Junior A Adanax. Um, I'm not sure why I always thought he was the D coach, but uh, it's Creighton Reed's position, and I think it's kind of helped them. Un- you know, it's an unfortunate situation for Creighton, uh, he was hurt in that game that kind of, you know, started this whole Maple Ridge surety bond thing uh, off a hit from Matt Beers um, and has been out ever since. And so that's allowed him to be able to afford a little bit more time to the juniors. And that defense has just been absolutely remarkable. Um, you heard me talk about the play of Coquitlam goaltender Christian Del Bianco. Um, he is a perfect 18-0 this year. He has a 5.96 goals against average and a .861 save percentage. Now, that's just remarkable. But if you go back and look, he truly has never lost a regular season game for the Adnacks. He's 18-0 this year. He went 10-0 last year and 6-0 the year before. The scary thing about CDB is this is his first true year of Junior A lacrosse. Last year, he did double duty, and he played both Intermediate A and Junior A. This year, he can just focus solely on the Junior A's, 
and he has just been spot-on fantabulous. I think he has a bit of a burn in his side after what happened last year in the Minto Cup, and he would like to get back there and get himself to the top of the mountain and put that feather in his cap. And I had a chance to watch him a couple weeks ago with a, a good buddy, Tyler Hebner. I think I might have talked about this on the show the other week. And, it, like, I've seen him play before, but it was the first time I'd actually seen him live in person. And just his mental preparation and his mannerisms and how he studies the game and his preparedness is just remarkable. And it's not going to be too far off that he's a starting goaltender, not only in the WLA, um, but in the National Lacrosse League as well. He is just that darn good. And I think when I talked about this last time, I said it would be interesting to see what Calgary, the Roughnecks, do this winter. They have Mike Poulin. They have Frankie Chiliano and also Christian Del Bianco. And I'm sure there's probably some teams that would like to get any of those three off Kurt Miloski and Mike Bork. And as teams slowly start to sign players, uh, we'll just kind of have to wait and see um, how that goes. And if, if someone can pry one of those three goaltenders away from Calgary, uh, because I'm sure somebody would love to have any one of those three. Um, during my conversation with Kyle Sorensen, uh, we talked about um, the President's Cup, and he's playing currently with uh, North Shore Senior B, and they just have a, a really stacked team uh, with Sori and Bold and Iannucci. Um, Tyler Garrison's there. Like, they've loaded up with some really good talent. They have a long way to go to get back because they, I think they were 2-5 and five at one point, and they needed to do some work to get back into the playoff hunt, and they're going to be really hard-pressed uh, to get to the President's Cup. But if they do, they will be heading to Edmonton and where the St. Albert Miners are. And they currently lead the Rocky Mountain Senior B Lacrosse League uh, with a perfect 12-0. and 0. And um, as I said, you heard uh, Kyle talking about you know some of the guys that are on that team along with Jarrett Toll, um, some names that BC fans or lacrosse fans might be familiar with. Um, Owen Williams, as mentioned, Jarrett Toll, Ben Snyder's there, Johnny Lintz, David Maurice, uh, Ryan Dilks, the Cornfield brothers, Jordan and Graydon, um, Keegan Ball's out there playing. So they have a, a really good team, and, and they're going to be hosting the President's Cup, and they'll be uh, one of the teams to beat. And Senior B Lacrosse is, is a, a different animal, um, and not just because you have to wear more pads, as, as Kyle found out, but a lot of times the teams that end up going to the President's Cup are just ridiculously deep in talent. And that's just the life of Senior B. It's, it's less of a commitment for guys. Um, you know, they're not at the rink five nights a week. They might even be there two, three times a week uh, with practices and games. It's just a lot less stressful on the body. But it's just interesting to see the dynamic and how teams load up in Senior B because it generally always happens. Um, you know, the, the Quebec teams or the native teams out east will always load up on talent. They're, they're Just like North Shore is doing here, they have money to be able to lure guys to play. And, you know, just, just look at the names that are on, like I rattled off um, for that North Shore team. 
you know, a, a further look down that roster. Ethan Iannucci, Tom Johnson, Alex Geich, um, Kyle Belton, Josh Joseph, Jeff Baker, uh, sorry, Jeff Zawicki, um, Joe Bell's down there, uh, Kerry Krzyzewski's playing, Tim Campo, Tyler Garrison, Russ Hurd has played a game, um, Boldy's there, um, Matt Noble. Like, this is a, a team, Bruce Murray, they got Bruce Murray out of retirement. Like, this is a team that has talent. And they're looking to make a serious run. But as I said, they got a little ways to go. They're 6-7. and seven, And they're in 7th place. Now, I'm not sure how many teams make the postseason in Senior B. But five teams have already clinched postseason playoff spots. So there's possibility that six teams get in. Langley leads at 10-2. and two. Ladner, Nanaimo, Royal City, and Victoria have all clinched playoff spots. The Valley is eliminated, leaving North Shore and Coquitlam, I'm guessing, to battle for that final playoff spot. And North Shore would love to be in there, especially with that talent pool that they have. Um, so the President's Cup uh, will go later this summer in St. Albert, and the Miners will be the host. And it's one of the craziest tournaments um, out there. It's not like the Man Cup where it's just uh, the two best teams. It's not like the Minto Cup where it's um, a host team um, and the league champions from the three other provinces, or in this case, the top two teams from BC, the team from Alberta and the team from Ontario. They usually bring in like six, seven teams. To the President's Cup. It's crazy. Like, if you haven't seen President's Cup action, it's, you know, sometimes teams are playing two games in one day. Like, that's stuff you did in minor. And it's just a whirlwind of lacrosse, that President's Cup. And um, it's one of the harder trophies to win. And I, I never played for a President's Cup, but I know a lot of guys have. And, and it's it's a daunting task to go play in a President's Cup. Um, it's kind of like the Founders, the, the Junior B Championship. They take a lot of teams, and you play a lot of games in a short period of time. And if you're not mentally or physically ready, you can be out in a darn hurry. So um, that's a quick little touch on Senior B. Um, and finally, before we go, um, oh, even before we get to that, let's take a quick look um, into Uncle Joe's absolutely absorbing bathroom. Read. I just looked over and remembered it was here. Um We've been doing this for the past few weeks, you know, just to break things up a little bit. Um, no good deed goes unpunished on page 63. And this is talking about um, a late fee. Uh, it's from an article in Esquire, January 1995. And it says, in 1994, New York City's Metropolitan Transit Authority docked Michael Durant, a, 70, a 31-year-old bus driver, a day's pay for being 12 minutes late for work. His excuse, he had to stop to pull a man out of a burning car on the highway. Can't blame him for that, but I guess he can. He got docked a whole day's pay for being 12 minutes late. Before we go, growing the game, and it's something that um, we talk about a lot on here. Uh, I, <laughs> um, it's just kind of came into my head. I remember when I first started this radio show, um, or the podcast when it was a radio show and it was in Vancouver and um, and I kept on saying grow the game I think I might have said it like four times or five times in my first show 
And then I kept on saying, and I had kind of like a grow the game segment. And um, on the old Laxbeak forum uh, that doesn't exist anymore, uh, somebody chirped me and said, oh, it's a great show, but I wish you'd stop saying grow the game. Meh. I get it. Like I said, I said it like five or six times um, in the show. But it's important to talk about some of these things that help grow the game. And, you know, there's, you know, the old hashtag grow the game movement and, and people really want to get behind it. And I'm super cool with it. Like I'm massively behind growing this game, whether it be indoors or outdoors, whether it be um, through this vehicle of the podcast or whether it's just talking to people, uh, whether it's through the webcast of, of games that I call anything I can do to help educate people uh, bring awareness to things. That's the real, true um, mo of what I do here on the Off the Crossbar podcast is to bring awareness and help you know grow the game and, and bring topics up for discussion. Uh, you know, we talked to Corey uh, about the shot clock in FIL play, and I know Dylan Ward is heavy on this, and he'd love to see it. And I agree. Like I think eventually there does need to be one. But the argument that gets brought up, and it was something that Corey said, and that's at the higher levels, you know, in the blue division, yeah, I can kind of see it. But do you need a shot clock when it's Mexico and, and Israel? Okay, so here's the question. Because I can see the argument against it, and and because the argument against it is, well, if you're if it's Nations that are still developing and they don't have the stick skills or the abilities that, you know, Canada, U.S., Iroquois, England, Australia kind of have, then it can kind of hurt the game because it becomes sloppy because now guys have to force themselves. And, you know, if they are having trouble stringing four or five passes together and they have to get a shot off in 60 seconds once they cross center or once they gain possession, it can cause some sloppy lacrosse. I can kind of under, I can understand that argument. And the other argument is that, you know, if you have it in the blue division, you should have it across the board in all divisions. And I think that's the way that I feel, is that you can't, you can't do it for one group and not every group. Because then we get in this whole dichotomy of what we're doing with CLACs and NLL and Canadian Summer and Canadian Junior and Senior A, where, where we have all these different rule books for like three or four different indoor leagues, and nobody can keep track of what's what and what's not. So I understand Dylan's argument of you shouldn't allow the referees to dictate the pace of play with the stall warning because it should be up to the players. And I think there does need to eventually be a shot clock, but I don't know if the FIL is ready for it. So that will be an interesting, you know, something to keep an eye on as this sport moves forward, the field game moves forward, because you have a shot clock in the World Indoor Championships, and there are teams that, you know, aren't as good as Canada, the U.S., Australia, England, whatever. But the shot clock has always been a part of the indoor game. It's just new into the professional league and outdoors. 
And I believe they're experimenting with it bringing in to the NCAA in the near future. But again, they have to find a system that works. But here's the other side of the coin, is that if you implement the shot clock and just say, hey, you know what? New field rule. 60 seconds to get a shot off as soon as you cross center. From the best of the best down to the lowest of the low. It allows everybody to, you know, especially for the smaller developing nations, it allows them to get on page with everybody. It's like what U.S. Boxler is doing by saying, you know what, we're not going to use hybrid field rules for the indoor game. We're going to use straight-up Canadian box lacrosse rules. Because, as Americans, they want to be on par with everybody else. They want to be playing the same rules as the best in the world. So, if you take that model and just say, okay, Everybody's got to play by the same rules, and everybody has to deal with a 60-second shot clock once you get past center. It's not like it's going to hurt the game. It will allow everybody to get on the same page, and who knows? It might be great. It might be horrible. You never know until you try. So this is it. This is a discussion that's been going on um, for the— fe- past few years because people just don't really know and it's it's something that needs to be discussed and needs to be talked about and needs to be experimented with because it truly is unfortunate to watch a field game and just see a team hold on to the ball for two minutes and not shoot the ball just dries it out and slows the game down so we'll see um, the other comment about sort of growing the sport, and again, I asked Corey about this as well, is, and, and this was somebody brought this point up to me because China is 3-0 and in the, um, I think they're the green division. I'm just looking it up here, sorry. Um, standing, the green division. China is now three and one. Actually, they they lost um, to Ireland, I believe. But the fact that as of yesterday they were like three and zero, and someone I was like, okay, this isn't a joke. This is truth. China is three and zero, and someone said, well, do you think they would be three and zero if they didn't have the North Americans on their roster? And it's a valid question. It's something that happens. Uh, every time we get into these world tournaments, it happened at the World Indoor Games earlier this year, when um, or late last summer, sorry, when people were all like, oh, well, you know, Israel wouldn't be as good as if they didn't have Chad Culp and all those Canadians and North American guys playing for them. It's a fair question, and it's a fair argument. Like, when you look at this uh, China team, they have one, two, three, four, five, six players that aren't from China. They have um, an American, two Americans, and four Canadians. Uh, two BC and three BC and two Ontario guys. And so the question is, like I said, would China be doing as well without 
the North American players on their team. I truly believe that they would be because I know some of the guys that are working with that group and, you know, working with uh, Hong Kong and working with Japan and some of these developing nations and a lot of the people that are help coaching them are North American guys who are just, you know what, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to go over there like four times a year and work with the Hong Kong team. Scott Browning has done a phenomenal job uh, with that program. Um, the guys helping Hong Kong and Taiwan and, and Korea and China, like these developing nations, I think you need to have that influence. I think you need to bring these teams up and say, hey, you know what? We're going to be 90% true nationals with a 10% influx. Because it just helps them grow and helps them understand by playing with the best of the best. Or don't even have to be the best, just guys with experience. I think that helps them grow. Like, you're not going to put a team in of, you know, uh, you're not going to put a, a Mexican team into the world championships that's, you know, 95% American guys who just happen to have Mexican parents. Like, that entire Mexican squad, they have one guy who's not Mexican. One. That's awesome. You know, look at some of these other teams. Um, uh, like, for example, look at Korea's roster. That's a team that is heavily Korean. They have four Americans on the team, but they're heavily Korean. And so, you know, the argument of, oh, will the team be, would they be as good if they didn't have the North Americans? I, I think they would be just fine. And you're again, you're not putting them up against Canada or Iroquois or the United States, they're still playing within their groups. So they're playing with teams on their level. And all those teams have some sort of uh, influence from North American lacrosse, whether it be Americans or Canadian players or whether it be a coaching staff. So the argument that people who just happen to have grandparents um, and lineage that are allowed to play, you know what, I don't, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. Because it helps grow the sport, not only in a team aspect, but these guys aren't just showing up and playing. Like They're putting in work in those countries, and they're helping grow the game there. So um, I, I applaud everybody uh, that is involved in the World Under-19s. Um, I love the fact that it is just going off so well. Um, and everybody's enjoying themselves, and there haven't been really, you know, there hasn't been any real hiccups um, other than, you know, the the f unfortunate fire that happened at the Canada-Iroquois game, but they still got the game, you know, done. So it is a remarkable, remarkable um, endeavor put on um, by the group over there, and uh, everyone should just be thoroughly happy with, with the efforts and work they've done to put on such a fantastic tournament over there in Coquitlam. So if, you, if you're over on the mainland, um, go check out some games because there's some really good lacrosse and there's some great up-and-coming um, players out there on the field. And again, you know, don't just focus on the blue division games. Go check out the red and green division. Go watch Israel and Hong Kong or Taiwan um, because you'll get a chance to see some incredible games. Uh, like Corey and I talked about, Taiwan and Mexico played seven overtimes. Yes, seven overtimes.
was awesome. So uh, that's kind of the, the, the grow the game soapbox for the day. But um, I, I just don't, you know, the best part about it is because it builds discussions. The, the, 30 se- the shot clock thing is going to be a discussion that's going to be around in the field game until there's a universal rule. And I truly believe that if it's going to be in the pro game and then they institute, institute it into the college game, then the logical step is to put it into the international game. Just makes sense. That's why it just bothers me that from the NLL to CLAX to Canadian Summer Leagues, even east to west in the Canadian Summer Leagues, l- rules that are different just irk me to no end. Let's just have one rule book. From senior age can be different to minor, that's fine. But from as soon as you turn, um, you know, it's tough because, you know, there's still intermediate. But let's just call it from intermediate up. So the time you turn 17, you should be playing the same rules from the time you're 17 to the time you decide that you're done in the indoor game. That's that. And that's another show for this week here on Off the Crossbar. My name has been Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, um, fire me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. If you are at the World Games, um, seek me out. Come say hi. Give me a high five on Thursday. I'll be there for the two semifinal games, and I'll be back on Saturday for the championship presentation. Thanks to Kyle Sorensen. Thanks to Corey McLaughlin. And of course, as always, thank you to you for stopping by and giving me some time to talk your ear. Enjoy the games. Take a friend to them. And always, be excellent to each other. 